the Infrastructure Committee. Uh, we have a quorum and just advise all members who are in the room just to maintain social distancing during the meeting. Today, the committee will consider subordinate legislation and we will then receive a briefing from Bus and Coach NI Limited and Hannon Coach with regard to commercial bus service permits and transport integration. And we'll also receive a departmental briefing on the review of planning policy and low carbon energy. Again, as per usual, just advise um, those who are joining us remotely um, to um, put your mics on mute. Um, as it may interfere with the evidence, and also if you do wish to speak, to, to raise um, your hand via the icon. I don't have any apologies, um, although um, the Deputy Chair may be late. Moving then to Chair's business, um, obviously advise members of the meeting that we did have uh, last week, an informal meeting with Bus and Coach NI. Um, for those who, who weren't there, um, it, was a, it was actually a very useful meeting in regard to financial assistance for the bus and coach industry. Um, and I did ask members maybe to, to reflect on that meeting and to agree some actions following on from it. Um, I suppose the, the primary issue is on the need for ongoing support. Um, and while we have asked for this um, before, I think it's something that we probably need to, to re-emphasise, um, particularly with the, the Infrastructure Minister, but perhaps much broad, more broadly um, through Finance Minister and the Economy Minister. But I'm, I'm content to take comments from, um, from members if they wish to make any other suggestions. Yeah, Chair. Yeah, obviously we're just, um, I would support obviously write to the Minister and see where she would be at in regard to the third scheme for the sector. As an initial, and yes, the Economy Minister and Finance Department doing a harm, yeah. Okay, and I suppose it's really about a rolling support yeah. um, as opposed to just retrospective schemes as we have had. Uh, Mr Boylan? Yeah, thanks, Sharon. No, I would support that, and Mr Buchanan obviously made the suggestions at the, at the last meeting, and I think the actions that we agreed I would certainly support them going forward in terms of contacting ministers. I think there needs to be a scheme to, to support them going forward, so I'd, I'd be happy enough to support the actions of the committee. Anyone else at this point? No? Okay. Agreed. Okay, thank you. Moving then to draft minutes at page six of your pack. That's for the meeting of the 26th of May. Are members content? Matters arising at page 16, again from the meeting of the 26th of May. Do members have any issues arising from the meeting or any comments which they wish to make in addition to what's there? Content. At page uh, 20, we have our items of outstanding correspondence. Um, you'll see that we still have correspondence which was sent to the Department of Health on the 10th of December and we have sent four reminder emails and a reminder letter um, and they've been similar then for um, the Executive Office and Michael Gove, they're the longest outstanding pieces of correspondence. 
Chair, just on that, that Department of Health one, what, what, what can we do in that? Because basically that's, that's a long time from the 10th of December and with no response. So what, what, what did, have we got our disposal to get a response? Have we? Yes, um, but we've heard nothing back from the, the committee either. Okay, so the committee is slow at response as well. Okay, that doesn't go particularly well, does it? Okay. Um, so, content to note. Moving then to correspondence. Um, just draw your attention to the, the memo at page uh, 27. And the suggested actions. Um, you'll note that it's they're all really to note, with the exception of the committee for finance have uh, contacted us in regard to an independent fiscal council for Northern Ireland, and that was something which we had a, a brief discussion about last week. And we had we were actually writing to the committee for finance with in relation to that. So it may be something that. Um, they have they've they've requested then for us to um, respond with some suggestions. Do members have any comments to make in regard to that, Mr. Muir? Um, thank you very much, Sharon. Apologies, I'm not with you today. I do still love you all. Uh, <laughs> three things: Sharon, around the fiscal. Um, Council stuff. I think it's important that we do reply to that because these issues around finances are consistently coming up week after week, of affecting the issues that we're um, considering. Uh, and to me, there was well, obviously it's for the committee to decide, but there would be three things that maybe they would have merit in um, responding with. One would be the near for need for multi-year budgets, and that's affected a number of things. The other one is a need for progress in relation to the infrastructure commission. Um, because that's impacting upon the delivery of, of lots of different things. And the last one, from my perspective, would be uh, a more sustainable funding model for NI Water. I don't think we're going to get a consensus in relation to what that is, but there needs to be a more sustainable funding model for Northern Ireland Water so they can deliver those water and sewage um, infrastructure for uh, economic growth and also for housing. So I think it's important we do respond, and that's my um, topic's worth in relation to that. Okay. Anyone else? Members, members content. Okay, we're getting sort of nods and then silence. So we'll we'll take that as content. <laughs> okay. Um, and the uh, other item of correspondence that we may wish to comment on is the response from the minister um, to issues arising from the committee meeting on the twelfth of May, and that's at page seventy-three. And within that, there's an update with regards to driving test, um, support for the bus and, and coach sector, um, which um, I suppose really doesn't um, give us an, the response, the answer that we're looking for. Um, issues in relation to journey planner, the um, bus service permits and transport integration, which we're have, hearing about today, and officials are coming next week. Um, and then pertinent to our debate yesterday was the private streets, um, additional information. and. The levelling up fund and then parking enforcement. Do members have any comments with regards to any of that, Mr. Muir? Yeah, I think Carl came first, so I'm happy that he goes first before me. Oh, sorry. I, I thank you very much, Andrew. Um, no yeah, there are just a couple of points. Clearly, obviously, we, we've dealt with the issue in, in relation to the bus and coach, but also it's right across the transport sector. We need to look at and 
we need to think back to the taxis um, industry as well. And I mean, if, if there's a, if there's officials coming up, we need we need to address that. The other point in terms of the leveling up fund, I mean, um, we know there was three things there. I mean, but there was a, a very limited bidding window. So can we write to the department to see exactly where we're at or what we can do or what they're proposing to do to try to try and address that in terms of introducing all the funding mechanisms or just get a Get get more more meat on the bones out there because I mean, unfortunately, there's a lot going to miss out because of that limited window and just maybe get a wee bit more out of the department to see how they're going to address that. Thanks, Chair. Okay, yeah, that doesn't really give an awful lot of details just in relation to um, the engagement either with councils. Um, yeah. So it is very it's very light and as a response. Okay, Miss um, Kimmins. Thanks, Chair. It was just in relation to the, the points under parking enforcement. I know I had mentioned it um, in the past, and we've got more lobby letters from Lisburn um, Chamber as well as Newry Bid in relation to their proposals around on-street parking. Um, and I know they've raised it with the Minister. I've, I've advised them if they want to speak to the committee to, to write to us as well. But um, it's just to see if there's anything we could do in relation to that, I think. You know, particularly those two areas where there, um, you know, there's central parking zones, and it's historically there's it, the evidence shows that it's quite unfair how um, enforcement's carried out. So it's just to raise that again, um, and hopefully we will get um, a request from them soon to come and brief the committee because I think it's a very important issue, particularly as we move out of lockdown. And I know the minister announced then that she was putting um, parking enforcement back in place as it was pre-COVID. Okay, so are you anticipating uh, uh, correspondence from Lisburn and Castlereagh? Well, no, well, we, I, we got some this week. Um, I don't know if all committee members got it or if it was just in um, by constituency, but I know there's still a strong lobby on in relation to this um, from both Lisburn Chamber and Uri Bid um, because of the two central parking zones and I mean the, the issues they're having are, 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 are huge. So it was just to kind of raise that again and keep it on people's radar. I think we do we do need to take that forward as best we can. Okay, um, I'm just checking that that correspondence hasn't been received by, by the committee. So perhaps you might want to mm -hmm. to chase that up on your okay. end. Okay. Um, Andrew, Mr. Mary. Yeah. No, thank you, Chair. Just in relation to another one, which is five point seven. It was about delivery of courses for drink drive offenders. And it's, uh, I think it's important that that, that uh, is considered. But one thing that just appeared to me, um, a while ago um, at the committee, we were given an update in relation to two sort of related matters in relation to road safety enforcement. One was in relation to fixed penalty for careless driving, and there was a consideration of the department to introduce that, and, and that was significantly um, benefit road safety and also the processing of those issues. And the other one was updating the law around using the mobile phone when driving, because that law was drafted when phones were like bricks and there were Nokia's and stuff like that. And now it's more difficult for the police to enforce it. And I was going to suggest we go back to the department and ask them for an update in relation to both issues, because it's been a while and we haven't heard anything in relation to either. Okay, members content. We can maybe include that and update then on where they are with the road safety strategy as well. Okay, content. Thank you. Um, any other items that members wish to highlight within correspondence? Okay. Great, thank you. So I think Carl's also sure. Mr. Mr. Boylan? Yeah, Chair, no, just to worry. Um, 
I wanted to mention yesterday's. I mean, the, the debate we had yesterday was quite, quite well balanced. I mean, clearly, clearly, there's questions in relation to delivery there. So, and I know that the, the ministers going about our, our finalisation of, of our budgets, but um, maybe chair, we should we should look at like the staff was cut by fifty percent in terms of one sector there in the VAS scheme. I mean, and, and there's no way that any of the departments could have survived any of that. So. Um, I know where, where there's a wee bit of work done or a wee bit of research done in relation to, to how the workforce model ended up that way. So maybe it's something, um, we'll, we'll wait to obviously the Minister comes back with a capital programme to see exactly and, and resource to see where she's going. But we, we need a Daphne as a committee take a look at that again in terms of how the department's going to deliver. So um, like I say, it was a good enough as well reason balanced debate yesterday. So um, maybe it's a wee piece of work we can undertake, but I, I just wanted to note it for today. Maybe we'll follow up on it again in terms of the department and the resource. Yeah, no, okay, no, yeah, no, no I, to, I totally agree. And I think that that's something that we're hearing now really at every presentation is the issues of the challenge. That challenge that there are obviously around resource uh, um, and, and workforce and having, uh, I suppose, even specialists in place in, in order to, to carry out um, some of the work which would have been taken for granted, I suppose, in the past. Um, so if we can keep that maybe just as a, a rolling, rolling item just to... Um, to keep an eye on. Okay. Any other comments, Mr. Beggs, Mr. Buchanan? Chair. Intent. Chair. Mr. Beggs. Yeah. Uh, just, just yeah. in terms of the working of this year's budget, just to follow on what Cahill was saying uh, about uh, resources. So, um, have we clarity of if there are further implications in this year's budgets for how uh, the, the department will be able to respond to pressures, whether that is for uh, in your monitoring for of additional. Um, uh, surfacing of roads, or alternatively, uh, to to follow up um, road spawns and, and and bring about improvements for, for residents. Mm -hmm. Mr. Buchanan. Okay, Ms. Kelly. Uh, Chair, it's a different matter, but uh, I just want to say I think you've already been informed. Hopefully that I have to leave at 11 o'clock for an appointment, but hope to get back in again. And then could I just ask, uh, if I don't get in, in time for any other business, that we might ask the department for an update on the legal challenge in terms of roads maintenance contracts. I think we'd like to know where that's at in terms of time frame, if that's possible. Okay. We we're to get it. We're due to get a briefing, aren't we, with regards to um, procurement at some stage? It's not. That's that was the certainly request has been was put in for a briefing. We don't have it on the forward work program at this point. No, it's not changing. Okay. Well, maybe just we'll we follow. We, we can follow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Agreed. Any other member at this point? No. Okay. Thank you. Moving then to item six at page 79. So we have SR um, 2021-136, the Motor Vehicles Driving Instruction uh, Trainee Licence Amendment, Coronavirus Regulations, Northern Ireland, 2021. The committee considered the proposal for the rule on the 26th of May and was content the rule is subject to negative resolution. There's been no change to the policy content of the SR since the SL1 was considered by the committee. Are members content with this rule? Okay. So the Committee for Infrastructure has considered SR 2021-136, the Motor Vehicles Driving Instruction Trainee Licence Amendment Coronavirus Regulations Northern Ireland 2021 and subject to the Examiner of Statutory Rules has no objection to the rule. 
Turning then to item 7, page 88, SR 2021-137, the Motor Vehicles Driving Instruction Amendment Coronavirus Regulations Northern Ireland 2021. The committee considered the rule for the the proposal for the rule on the 26th of May and was content. The rule is subject to negative resolution. There's been no change to the policy content of the SR since the SL1 was considered by the committee. Are members content with this rule? Content. The Committee for Infrastructure has considered SR 2021-137, the Motor Vehicles Driving Instruction Amendment Coronavirus Regulations Northern Ireland 2021, and subject to the Examiner of Statutory Rules, has no objection to the rule. Okay, thank you. Moving then to item eight, and it's our first briefing uh, from Bus and Coach NI Limited and Hannon Coach. This is with regard to commercial bus service permits and transport integration. Hansart will record the meeting uh, and just draw your attention to correspondence from Bus and Coach NI at page 97 and correspondence from Hannon Coach at page 108. And we shall welcome to the meeting via Starleave, Karen McGill, the Chief Executive of Bus and Coach NI Limited, Niall McKeever, the, the Chairman of Bus and Coach NI Limited, Eamon Rooney, the owner of Rooney International Coach, and Owen McLaughlin, Group Marketing Manager for Hannon Coaches. You are all very welcome. Thank you for um, attending the committee this morning. And um, can I just ask who is leading um, and who? I probably start. Okay, so Karen, if you'd like to make your opening statement and then um, defer to your colleagues. Um, and okay, good morning. Good morning. Uh, good morning, and thank you very much once again for the opportunity. Um, I'm going to try and keep. Uh, things simple and short this morning because I'm accompanied by three operators who all um, two who've operated bus permits now for over 20 years and obviously uh, Owen from Hannon so he has uh, applications and four permits for the last uh, four years. In simple terms in Northern Ireland uh, we have a public transport provider that operates obviously 15 about 1500 socially necessary service there uh, for the network which is um, obviously how things have been done and the way we do things in Northern Ireland and accepted. It's obvious that there's gaps in the network there and that there are opportunities throughout the province for other operators outside that in terms of the private sector where they would see locally in their area an opportunity to run a service. Now where this happens there's been a process and the process over the last number of years has not been either adequate or fair. So within the work that we did with the Transport Act um, over 10, 12 years ago, part of the changes to the Transport Act and the update were to allow through a formal process the private sector to come into the network and to complement what is already existing um, within the public transport provider. Um, there were other changes made to uh, within the Transport Act, which allowed a new standalone department to have a look at those permits um, and to fairly manage that process. Now, some of that has not been enacted, and at the minute we have the department itself that actually considers the applications. Now, the 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 whole premise is to allow the private sector to come in to fill in gaps and to complement um, the the network as it sits. Unfortunately, the process has always been 
awkward and it's been obstructive at times and regardless even after what we did within the transport act there's always been a battle for every service there's always been a battle for operators to, to be able to run their services now within the last couple of years that seems to have become even more difficult and more concentrated and as you know we have written to you with our thoughts on the latest new draft guidance now we have a list of issues on that guidance which we have presented to you in terms of the first being that we learned during a meeting um, with the departmental officials that there had been a new process agreed by Minister Mallon. Well, we weren't party to that, we weren't consulted on and we weren't party to that new process but that is a done deal and the new draft guidance actually reflects that whole new process. Now the process itself allows for um, so much to change in terms of the, even the application process and the time scales, we're going from like an eight-week process to 32 weeks and beyond. The proof of demand has become um, more onerous and there's no definitive list. The permit renewals are being treated as new applications. The determination process, the fact that they can go, a decision for a new service can go as high as the minister. Um, there's been omissions in terms of the journey planner, omission. Um, from the new department document from for all the detail of all the type of services you can apply for the 30-minute rule is a massive uh, big change in terms of that whole determination so there's been a lot of issues there um, for us and the guidance and that's why we've written to you um, really the new guidance has left us in a position where we are not we don't believe we feel welcome to be part of the, the public transport network. We don't understand why the department has changed has changed the process and has done what it has actually um, within this last couple of years in changing where things are. We don't feel we're welcome. We don't feel that the opportunities are going to there. We feel we're being kept out and it's a framework which actually contradicts that whole opportunity for the private sector to help integrate as an asset that can be used within public transport and actually be part of developing a whole network of new flexible services for the for the public in Northern Ireland. So with me today, as I said, I have three operators who have all been part of that process and the difficulties along the way. Um, I think first, if it's okay, I'd like to ask Mr. Nell McKeever from Airporter um, to to join us and then we'll ask him and, and okay. for their Can you hear can you hear me okay? Yes, okay. Other witnesses maybe switch off their mics because I think it may be interfering just with the sound. Sorry. If other if other witnesses if other um, of your team are have their mics on, if they could maybe just okay. switch them to mute, that would be very helpful. All right. Are we okay? Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Uh, first of all, I would like to start today by formally acknowledging the importance of these committee engagements with our industry. Fundamentally, it's essential that our industry's guidelines reflect the ambitions of our government's aspirations and to create environment for them to happen. This is why it's vitally important for the issues raised in our report that they are understood in context of where we are now, where we have been and where we want to go. I want to highlight today the correlation between the newly defined transport sector and the opportunities this presents for the future. But primarily, I want to share a personal view of being a current permit holder and the challenges imposed by these new guidelines. 
Air Porter is a multi-award winning coach operation connecting Derry to the two Belfast airports. As owner director of the operation for nearly 25 years, you would think that I was safe in the knowledge that Air Porter was fully integrated into the public transport network for Northern Ireland. You'd be surprised. We have won countless industry operation awards from innovation to customer service, and we were the first bus company in Ireland to provide online real-time reservations. Airporter created a new direct access route, which wasn't there before, and have grown that business from zero to 150,000 passengers per year. We are very much part of the connectivity infrastructure for the Northwest and have carried over 2 million passengers since 1997. We have a fleet of 16 vehicles, employ over 30 people, and travel over 2 million kilometers per year. In this time, we have never fallen foul of any operating legislation and have a very well-respected name in the industry. In any other business sector, this level of operational excellence and compliance would be celebrated and encouraged to grow throughout the product. Disappears, Mike. Mm -hmm. okay. Perhaps maybe, we, yeah, maybe see if he can re, he can reconnect. Um, Aaron, we've lost we've lost Nile. Um, we'd Owen be in a position at the stage to maybe make his contribution and we can come back to now when he when he reconnects okay uh can can you hear me okay we can hear you but we can't see you you can't see me uh i'm not sure why you can't see me i've got my camera turned on um anyway as long as you can hear me i suppose so good morning thanks uh, to the chair and the committee for having us today uh just to give you a, a brief background on the hammond group we're a, a specialist chilled transport and logistics company based in Achilles, just outside Bergen. We specialise in Europe's fresh produce sector. We have offices in transport in Rotterdam, Paris and Dublin, uh, and we employ over 400 people. Uh, the context of why we're here today is that in 2017, we made an application to uh, run an express service between Londonderry and Belfast and also five other applications from uh, other destinations across Northern Ireland. Um, I wanted to give you a brief background on that and to, sh to give you a flavour of just how the department has progressively frustrated, obstructed and ultimately blocked our attempts to enter the market, despite our applications being in line with all policy, legislation, regulations, etc. Uh, for the sake of brevity, it's impossible to go into all the details, but I'm happy to expand on any that the committee might be uh, might want more detail on, or to follow up with evidence of any of the, what we say here today. Um, I've broken the the process down into uh, five phases that we we've sort of gone through. Um, the application process is supposed to be a straightforward process, taking eight weeks. It's been common practice, and it's implicit within the own guidelines that if there isn't a similar service 
operating on the same route, then you should automatically be awarded that permit. So we put permits or permit applications in, as I said, for six routes. That was May 2017, our first one went in. On July 2017, the department turned us down and refused our application for Lump and Derry to Belfast route and subsequently ignored all five other applications. Um, we were forced into a judicial review. The department at this stage also failed to respond to a series of freedom of information requests and the ICO did eventually issue a decision notice on these in July 2022. So as I say, we were forced into a judicial review. The judicial review papers went in October 2017, and the, it was settled by the department in February 2018. At that stage, they committed to a period of six weeks to make fresh redeterminations from February the 15th. So that would have brought us up to the end of March 2018. In April 2018, uh, the department asked us to extend the process for six weeks to allow TransLink to uh, present to Derry City Council, and we obliged. Uh, we did that in spirit of cooperation, wanting to be partners of the department and TransLink for the next 10 to 15 years. Throughout the next uh, three months, we were asked for considerable extra levels of information, including advice on station priority, access to the journey planner, ticketing, accessibility of vehicles, and so on. We provided detailed responses at every stage. That brought us up to the end of June, uh, which was our last agreed date at that stage. Then there was a period of complete radio silence. The department ignored us for a period of eight months despite polite requests, despite us getting MLAs to write on our behalf, MPs to write to the permanent secretary. There was nothing. The department simply seemed to wait for something to come along, and it did so in the manner of the Northern Ireland Executive Formations and Exercise Functions Act. In February 2019, so a full year after committed to redetermine our applications, they cited this act, and they said that, uh, in effect, this could be or may be a matter for the minister, and they may not, in effect, make any decision at all. At that stage, they also committed to a new four-step, 12-week process. So again, that would have brought us up to the 10th of May, 2019. That process only concluded, concluded just before Easter of this year. Throughout this period, uh, we also approached the CMA, and the CMA made representations in the department on our behalf. As Karen has alluded to, the tail end of this process coming up to March uh, 2020, sorry, March 2020, uh, uh, was when they started to change the process and tell the industry that they were in fact changing the process. What this has in effect done is raised a complete barrier and it will make it impossible for anybody to uh, make an application similar to our own again, to have any chance of it being successful. From June, the, the, the department met to, to consider our applications, it was March of last year. Then in June, they passed the decision to the minister, and that was with the minister for another 10 months. On March, just before Easter this year, the department wrote us to refuse all six of our applications. We met with them afterwards to get an explanation, and their explanation was simply that we did not supply sufficient evidence of demand. They provided a 
figure they said that it didn't the there was no question of it having an impact on tran translate and that didn't come into their decision making process which conflicted with the evidence that we believe that they gave to this committee in February of the previous year. So that, that's where we are, is that uh, after four years, we have been refused all our applications on the pretext that we didn't supply sufficient evidence of demand. Now, the evidence of demand that we did supply was extensive. Um, we followed the rules throughout and showed a high patience of goodwill. We supplied, as I said, robust evidence of demand in excess of that that could be reasonably expected of any small to medium-sized private operator. We've been through a judicial review, been successful in that, and have been awarded costs. The department has reneged on its terms of settlements of that judicial review. We have seen the dates and goalposts continually shifted through almost four years. We have seen conflicting and misleading information provided to statutory stakeholders by the officers of the department. And we are now left in a position for in Northern Ireland to get an, uh, an express service permit that is considered a matter for the Minister, which I would suggest makes us a bit of a laughing stock in the rest of the United Kingdom. We have standard transport economics evidence and advice from one of the UK's leading experts in the field, labelled as insufficient to secure a permit from a vacant route. We have a legislative need in the 2011 Act to ensure fair competition met with the statement, and I'll quote, the panel are satisfied that there is no evidence the application would result in unfair competition. So that means their idea of fair competition is making sure that unfair applications are denied. And we have the department whose job it is as a local authority to uh, going ahead with a wholly irrational and distorted reinterpretation of the 30-minute rule which can relate to area, which effectively brings the shutters down on any express service permits again. And all of this leads to a reduction in service provision in public transport in Northern Ireland that is unique within the United Kingdom and Ireland. And I would remind the, um, the committee that the transport survey from the department's own main reason for, that people cited that they would not travel is because it takes too long and the journey is quicker. That is the number one reason. And the only way to successfully get people out of their cars is to shorten uh, journey times, to make it comparable to the car. And for interurban connectivity, that means express non-stop non services of the type that we apply to do. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. We have Niall back, so apologies for that Niall, we seem to lose you, so if we could yeah. just recap. Yes, uh, yeah, I'm doing my best here to try to stay connected also, but I'll, I'll do my best to get through what I want to say, and if not, I would like to be able to submit it to the members. But uh, essentially, I missed what Owen was saying, but I, I'm sure what I will say will only reiterate his frustrations. I mean, for ourselves, having had 25 years experience in the industry, we now exist under a license scheme that challenges our position to grow and means that we have to justify our existence on a three-year basis. Under the new guidelines, the renewal process means that we will be treated as a new applicant and potentially open to all the changes that are listed in the reports we submitted. To put this in context, the financial agreement to purchase a new bus is typically five years, and you can imagine the challenges that this will provide when planning fleet rotation over a three-year period. In total, there are eight specific guideline changes that essentially turn our industry in our head. 
These changes not only raise the barriers of entry to the sector, but literally put at risk the existing operations we have created new routes and access across the province. As I mentioned, we've been operating for 25 years and have full intentions of being around for the next 25. But if these changes are not reviewed, we will continue to operate and live with the threat of the permit being withdrawn on a three-year basis. I think if we look at the last 15 months have been extraordinary for both the government and society as we adjusted our lives through the pandemic. Uh, as coach operators, we were the first to be hit and as business owners faced livelihood challenges with untold stress. Over the past 12 months, Boston Coach CNI has pursued a vigorous lobbying campaign to all walks of life in government. I'm quite sure if you didn't know Karen McGill 18 months ago, then I'm quite sure you'll know her today. It was essential that funding be provided to help the industry and thankfully support schemes were created. The due diligence process throughout these schemes were certainly frustration to all, but I believe the end results produced a new beginning for our narrative of our sector and our government relations. We have never been more recognised or defined as an industry, both in terms of quality and the services provided across society, and in terms of quantity by defining the physical size of fleet and the social economic benefits to the province. Post-COVID, our sector has many challenges ahead, and the opportunity now is to build on these new relationships between them. We cannot allow the subvention invested in the industry so far to go to waste. It is abundantly clear that there's a huge disconnect between the governing guidelines to the industry and the aspirational vision of where we want to go. As a region, we have ambitious environmental targets for 2050 and a vision of a more carbon neutral society. It is clear traffic will not be able to do this on its own. The private sector will be required and the legislation will prohibit this. There is a tragic irony of the current situation. The new guidelines have gone to great length and depth to ensure longer consultation periods and having additional stakeholders to authorise new permits, and yet we were literally presented with a done deal. I am confident and hopeful, though, that we can revisit and shape more appropriate guidelines for future transport ambitions. Thanks very much. Okay, thank you. And Eamon has joined us as well. Eamon, at this point, do you have anything to add? Well, I'm just going to briefly give my perspective of what way we are being treated at the moment. Like on and the rest of our operators, we started uh, a plan for permits. Now, I am operating a service over 20 years between Belfast and Newry. There was a, a gap in the market, and we started our service back in 2000. We built it back up to... 700 passengers per day pre-COVID. Um, during that period, just pre-COVID, we, we applied uh, to add more additional services because the, the, the numbers were increasing. Over, it took over two years for us to add a service on. So we, we like for toxic, we had a five o'clock service and a 5.30 and we wanted to put a 5.15 in to, to cope with the, the, the numbers. Two years it took. Again, we had to force the, the department to a judicial review. And at the dying hour, they sent me a letter to say that they were going to grant me the licence. And lo and behold, in the meantime, TransLink had set services in on top of the service times that I had applied for, which I thought 
wasn't wasn't appropriate. Now, I did raise this at a at a meeting um, a, a couple of months ago, um, and I was told by the department, you know, that that wouldn't happen again. That shouldn't have happened. Blah blah blah. I've now discovered now. Back in October, Translink now have added a two three eight B, and it is shadowing every one of my services between Belfast and Newry. And to me, it's predatory, and it's been facilitated by the department. And you know, it, for for operators like ourselves to be treated against, I don't think is is appropriate. So that's what I've, that's my my opinion on it anyway. Okay. And I'm sure on the rest, the, the operators have been through the same process as I have, as they get your teeth pulled. Okay. Okay. That's all I have to say, really. Okay. Thank you. Um, thank, thank you. Thank all of you for for your contributions this morning. Um, as you as you'll be aware, this is um, we're going to be returning to this again next week when we have the departmental officials um, coming to the committee, and members felt that it would be useful to hear from the operators in, in advance of that and certainly um, what you've said this morning um, has is um, quite quite worrying to say the least. Uh, Karen, you mentioned that you had a meeting on the 14th of April with officials. Was that in relation to um, have a discussion around this? You know, what, what, what advanced knowledge did you know going in, into that meeting? Sorry, you're on mute. Sorry. Uh, before the meeting, we were sent a copy of the new draft guidance. That was it. Um, now, we hadn't met with the department probably for nearly two years previous to that. Um, we had met during the meeting referred to uh, by Owen with the Competition Markets Authority and the department. And as I say, there's, there's had a, we've had other meetings about different um, PSBAR compliance and whatever, but not about the new guidance or the change to the process. Okay, so, it was, so up, until that, up until the 14th of April, you weren't aware that there were any changes being made to the guidelines at all? No, they did mention during the meeting uh, with the Competition Markets Authority that they had thought about introducing two more steps to the application process. And I raised concerns both there and in writing afterwards and said, how can you do that? All the applications are in under the current guidance, and that's where they have to be considered and how they have to be considered. Plus, why are you moving the decision to a panel? Um, and why then, if the panel can't make a decision, does that go to the minister? Because that extends the process. And you know, you're paid within your job um, description to do your job. You're now saying you're not fit to do that. You're going to move it to a panel. What is the experience of the panel, and who will they be to make these decisions? And then you're telling me then, even at their pay grade, they might not be able to make a decision. So we put that on to the minister, and that is how we're going to develop the network. And you know where a minister's portfolio is what it is, then we're going to give her the decision to make. So we couldn't understand that. And as I say, we didn't make any agreement and we, we opposed it greatly, opposed it for the very obvious and very sensible reasons. Um, I'd just like to come back to the point that we did not know that the minister had already been presented uh, with a document to ask her to change the process. Now, 
we have asked for that and I have had that submitted and I have gone through that and I have already responded because the submission to the Minister was neither accurate or fair or transparent in terms of the whole process. It didn't mention the opposition from the private sector. It didn't mention our concerns whenever we had the verbal conversation. So the Minister was given a set of um, you know, facts that weren't all facts. And I believe there was a certain amount of manipulation there. And I don't think the Minister could have made another decision based on what she was given. And I think that's where our concerns are coming from. Why the department or the officials or whoever's working has decided that the private sector should not be part of it and that we should in, you know, introduce as many hurdles as we can. Because this is about developing the network for the people of Northern Ireland and allowing businesses to do what they do best. So why is that being made so complicated? Why did a submission go to the minister which didn't give the facts and didn't represent what the private sector felt. And why then, on this new document, are we being hindered even more? We're not even allowed to be part of the journey planner, even though, as I have submitted in the document, which is I've submitted to the department, we've had this discussion with the Department for Infrastructure previously. We've raised a lot of our concerns. And in February 2019, before uh, Mr. McGrath, John McGrath, the, the then uh, Deputy Permanent Secretary, left, he said that he had brought the team in, he discussed it with TransLink, and he'd asked the team to ensure that the process of applying for access to the journey planner was made available. Now, you would think that the department who owns the public transport provider and the network and everything surrounding that, they would want to develop a network of services for the passengers in Northern Ireland, and where they have at the minute 65 permits, they would want that information to be part of a journey planner so that all the people from the province could actually link in, then we could integrate, we could start the proper process of creating a better network with more flexible services and shortening journey times to get the people out of the car, to get them on to public transport. And that, that's where we don't understand where this is coming from. Okay, can I just ask, because obviously this is being regarded as draft guidelines, as, um, so I'm just wondering what the status of this is and whether there was any explanation given to you by officials as to the status of it and whether there would be any consultation and perhaps was that meeting of the 14th part of a consultation process? It wasn't described as being part of a consultation process. It was, it was, it was just described as going through the new guidance. Now, the, the official that we have been dealing with um, obviously had presented that to us. We then met two weeks later when we had raised concerns with his superior, um, um, who is new to the department, I think, last November, uh, Jackie Robinson. And what she had said to us during that meeting is, look, we will meet together, we will consult and we look at the guidance. And I had to say to her at that time, well, look, we have already done all that. Stuart's already sent it out. We've already met with him and we've given our concerns. So she agreed at that point that we would need to we would need to have a look at it, but we haven't heard from them again and that was that was until five weeks ago. So we really haven't heard anything since. I have subsequently written since that meeting about the submission to the minister and about the new um, determination that they have asked for from the Department of Solicitors about the 30-minute rule. Okay. So they could understand why they did, why they needed that, but anyway, 
Um, if I could just say it. Sorry, Chair, I just want to point out that the Department has told us that the process has changed without consultation. The consultation is limited to the wording of the guidelines, and that's what they've told us. Okay, we will maybe get some clarity from officials in relation to that then uh, next week. Um, some of the points which you have raised that I suppose become um, um, sort of quite clear in the um, rebuttals that you've made to each point um, in trying to actually um, get a permit. And Owen, you have said that the process that you have you went through previously, you felt that officials frustrated and blocked the application. And obviously, the, the new guidelines would not help any future application, but would perhaps frustrate it even further. And I suppose one of the one of the I don't one of the um, headlines around this would be around um, proof of demand and evidence of demand. Up until this point, what was it that you needed to present in order to um, prove the viability of of a route? Okay, well, uh, the, the, the process and the, the legislation just says that we need to provide evidence of demand. It doesn't, doesn't give any detail. Now, the, the level of evidence of demand that, that we went to was, was very, very extensive. Uh, we, we did a full review of the legislation, the regulations, the guidelines, a review of the Programme for Government, the Regional Del Development Strategy 2013, etc. We did a review of the existing service provision, it's important to realise that TransLink at that stage did no express routes anywhere in Northern Ireland. There was only one express route anywhere in Northern Ireland, and that was the service operated by Eamon. Um, we got, uh, we got uh, advice from one of the UK's leading experts in the field, a chap called Professor Peter White of, I think, Westminster uh, University. Uh, and he helped us with our detailed uh, elasticities of demand uh, model. We also uh, used um, the, I think, the NISRA settlement data. We did. We also put that data into a spatial um, model again to try and model uh, potential demand. We did a focus group also on the the dairy uh, uh, route, and that was specifically to look at uh, the tourists. Uh, aspect of it um, and potential barriers to demand. So the evidence that we produced was robust. It was done to make sure from, for us, for, from a business case point of view, first of all, this was a significant investment, £11 million over uh, five years. Um, so it was way in, in excess of what uh, level could be reasonably expected for a private operator of small to medium size. The important thing as well to realize is custom, as I said, and the, the, the working practice and the implication within the, uh, it's implicit within the guidelines, that where the service is vacant, it is normally awarded, and it's only really when there's another service of the same type operating on the same route that the evidence of demand really comes into play, as does that 30-minute rule. And I think it's also worth pointing out that similar to uh, Eamon's experience, and again, we were warned going into this, we predicted how obstructive the department had been previously, could be, and would be. Uh, less than two weeks after it settled our judicial review on the London Dairy to Belfast route, the department permitted Transing to operate its first ever express route in Northern Ireland, and that was between London Dairy and Belfast. That was within two weeks of its settlement. 
at the start of the process when it was supposed to be redetermined ours. We only find that out sometime later. And the department has and transit has also expressed for direct services on almost every route which we applied to do. The routes that we were told there was no demand for initially. Okay. I would also we, we part of the plan was we did all the express routes and we were putting a, an express service into, into Scotland. And I must say it, the difference between Northern Ireland and Scotland is like chalk and cheese. We are in the Travel Line Scotland website with no problem. All we have to do is apply a timetable and access to the bus station in Glasgow. All we have to do is provide our timetable and pay our on-stance fees, and they couldn't be more helped. Okay, thank you. Um, can I call um, Tahu Boylan? Thanks, Sharon, and you're all once again. You're all welcome back. Terence, uh, good to see you again. I know one. No, just I just want to clarify some points, obviously, and some questions for Owen as well, but. Karen, primarily yourself, denial and any animal first. Say in terms of the, the in your briefing, you, you, you've mentioned the 30 minute route and the interpretation of that and how it's changed on the new guidance. So, could you give us a wee bit of a better understanding that exactly what impact that has in terms of regular stopping service and express services, you know, on a shared route? Uh, and and just, just that point first, the three is like to comment, not there. Well, okay, I'm maybe late uh, as I would normally do. Look, I, in the job that I do, when one of my members or an operator comes to me and asks, I was thinking about a service, am I able to apply for it? I should be able to look at the legislation, you know, the suitability of the route, if there's any other people or incumbent operators on it, how the needs of the people will be met. And, and you know, there's certain criteria and I can look at that and I should be able to say, yeah, that's fine. The big thing, and the thing that everybody knows, and my child at three and a half knew it when she was here, was the 30-minute rule. Because where you have a service, where you have two stage carriage, or regular stopping as they are now, if you have an existing stage carriage service, and somebody else applies for another stage carriage service on the same route, he cannot have it unless there's a 30-minute time difference, okay? Now, if there's that same stage carriage route and an express application comes in, because it's an express service which offers the passenger different service, then that is all. There's no time buffer. There is no 30-minute rule applied where that is, and that's I think what Owen is referring to. So that's what you need to look at then, and that obviously everybody needs a 30-minute rule. Well, you have express services and you have two express services, then you have a 30-minute close or 30-mile closed door element. But that effectively, in simple terms is that it's a time buffer to provide that um, protection of the incumbent for a new operator coming on. And I think that's where Owen and Eamon have both referred to, you know, services maybe coming on board for them. So it's a 30 minute time buffer. Right, okay, no, and I appreciate that. Now the real question, the real question, I'll let the other members come in, in a minute, uh, who wants to respond. Um, I take it these changes weren't wanted by the industry, that's one point. I mean, my real point is this here. What do you think the purpose of this change was, or their change in interpretation was? And he's like to respond to relation to that. Well, look, I'll, I'll just be blunt and I'll be quick here. I think it was to keep the industry out. There was no real need for the change. It was established, it's fair, and I don't understand why they went for a redetermination within the departmental sisters. I think it was to block. I personally do. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't see any other reason for it. 
to the canal and the canal and the end because of, of a point for of another point for one but just the canal and the end for now. Well, I mean, Cal, if I can uh, explain, as a permit holder for the last 25 years, and as I was explaining, countless miles and passengers. We still now are going into a brand new world where we don't know if we can look past three years. They've actually taken a very defined document of guidelines and created a more spurious document that is very difficult to follow and, and, and challenge. And so to be, to be living in that type of um, uh, circumstance, never mind operate a business, employ people, plan for the future, it's very difficult. So I, I struggle to see how the current guidelines would encourage a more interactive and iterative public transport system as we move forward. Well, Liam, would you like to comment, please? Yeah, the 30-minute <laughs> rule uh, was, was how I operated between Newry and Belfast. When I looked at the the setup again twenty years ago, the Translink ran a service uh, Newry, Loch Breckland, Bambridge, Dromore, Hillsborough, Spruceville, Belfast, two hour journey. The they had no passengers getting on in Newry. Um and I put a service on and within a couple of years we, we, we were filling our buses. The reason being is that we were running directly from Newry, we had our doors closed in Newry and we were in the city 50 minutes later. Um, this 30 minute rule, if it's done away with, uh, it'll obliterate me. That's what it's set up to do. It's, it's set up to take us off the road. Once that 30 minute rule comes up, in three years time when I go to look for my permit again, they're gonna turn around and say, sure TransLink are doing it. See you later. Simple as that. It's all it's all set up. They're all been, the, 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 what do you call the dominoes are all been set up from the fall in a in a couple of years' time when we reapply for our permits. That's my opinion anyway. No, and that's fair enough, folks, and that's why I've posed the question. I mean, clearly yeah. the questions were coming up and, and in terms of yourselves, I mean, if we need any other information, whatever, we'll definitely come back. But Owen, I just want to, I want to pick up on your point there, and obviously you can comment maybe on the 30-minute rule as well, but this issue of the, the determination is supposed to take in six weeks and took over two years, and you have experienced them now over a number of years. I mean, how did the department explain that gross delay in, in making the determination? Or, or uh, what did this, what did they say? <laughs> Uh, well, uh, there, there was really no valid explanation given. Um, there was, in that six weeks, which I explained when we had the terms of settlement of the Justice Review, we agreed to an extension to allow TransLink to present to Derry City Council. Um, so that, 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 that's been the only one. There was a period, again, I think it was an eight-month period of just they completely ignored us, just didn't do a thing. Um, and that seemed to, to coincide with the, the arrival of the new permanent secretary. Um, they just waited for something to come along. They latched on to the, um, as I say, the Northern Ireland Executive Functions Act. It's really difficult. In, in, in England, Scotland, Wales, and I believe in the Republic of Ireland, an express service you wouldn't even need a permit for. And in, in Great Britain, you don't even need to register it. Um, it's really laughable here that uh, we have these barriers. These barriers were all stamped out in the rest of the United Kingdom over 40 years ago. And the 30 minute rule, just to be clear on it, what in effect TransLink, or sorry, the department are saying here 
is that if there's any bus at all operating along the route within 30 minutes either side of it, so that gives you an hour window, you can't even operate a different type of service, an express service. And again, we'll go back to Northern Ireland sits out like a saucepan handle. We are the only place in Europe that doesn't have express code services between urban centres. And it's not just in terms of um, of the fairness of the applications. It's actually hurting transport in Northern Ireland. And it's also stretching transit services and diluting the bus services in Northern Ireland as well. And it's no wonder the bus services are in chronic decline. So, so basically what you're saying or what I'm getting reading from yourself, clearly in terms of the, the determination, there's no clear clarification, verification or validation in, in why they took that decision in, in the delay itself. Um, and also, obviously you feel that in terms of the 30-minute rule, they're moving the goalposts. Do you feel that? Yeah. And, I mean, the 30-minute rule is only one of a, a set of many, many goalposts. I mean, I think it was last February that the department advised the, um, this committee that uh, it would have a significant impact on housing if we were to be awarded these. They quoted it, I believe, a figure of £2.2 .2 million. Pound. That figure evaporated. So they told us that we weren't denied uh, it because of any impact on transit. It's because we didn't show enough evidence of demand. And I can provide the committee with copies of any of, any of the applications that we put in. And I would challenge anybody to come to the same conclusion that that was insufficient evidence of demand as the department have substantive new So we just get a series of different excuses um, trotted out at every stage. So it's to prolong it, and it's to come to the same business system that we have come to, is there is no point in trying to invest in public transport in Northern Ireland. All you will get is pain and loss of time, loss of resources, over many, many years. And if these people are prepared to waste millions in efficiency left, right, and centre, they're not going to care about paying 30,000, pounds costs for judicial review after judicial review after judicial review. So we've been entirely blocked. And what I would be calling on is for the, for the committee to ask the Competition and Markets Authority to do a formal, formal investigation into how public transport sector is operated within Northern Ireland. But well, listen, Owen and and Karen and and Mel and and Eamon, thanks very much. I mean, I want to just pick on those points because I know all the members have a lot of different points. And you're right, it's across the board in terms of guidance and interpretation. So, there's other members will have will have will have different questions. I just want to concentrate on those two. But thank you very much for for your responses. And and you know, we we we'll continue to work with this. And uh, obviously, we'll have a discussion at the end of this meeting with the committee and the committee chair to see where we want to go forward. But thank you for your answers. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Ms. Anderson? Uh, thank you. Thank you, Chair. And um, Niall, as you said, Karen has definitely been <laughs> I think, among, uh, among many elected representatives. I didn't know it at all. If you had me on speed dial. <laughs> uh, I do want to acknowledge the lobbying that she's done and the sterling work. Uh, that the sector has done and I also want to acknowledge the importance now of Airporter you know for Derry in the Northwest like I had um, a constituent um, two days ago 
that I had to literally get on the airport or to get to the airport for a you know, quick turnaround, somebody very ill um, in hospital in, in England. And just the, having that service, it's a highly valued and needed service. And I'm actually gobsmacked, you know, that you have to live with a, a potential withdrawal parent on a yep. daily basis, all of these. Um, and I think how the department expect airport or any other uh, transport business to effectively operate under such a precarious cloud hanging over you all. Um, I, I just want to put that on record that listening to you today, I didn't think I would get any more shocked uh, dealing with uh, yourselves in terms of how you've been treated um, by the department throughout the COVID pandemic and the issues that we had dealt with, particularly as you had been trying uh, to get access to much needed grant. And then hearing all this today is quite shocking. Can I ask Owen, Owen, because when you were recounting your the judicial review and um, and the department settling that and then effectively ignoring you for years, uh, like are you off the few? Like was it to buy time uh, to put in place a block? Uh, so that we didn't have to address the issue. Because I can't understand anyone um, involved in a judicial review with the department settling it. One would expect uh, that the determination that would be made would be made into your satisfaction. So I, I can't understand uh, the way you, you have been treated and how the outcome has, has, uh, has come about the way it did. Yeah, I mean, and it, it is shocking. And effectively, what we've got here is a department, I would argue, in contempt of, of a high court settlement. Um, I suppose we say I broke it into the different periods. Initially, they were asking us for more information. They were asking for advice on, believe it or not, they said there's no process for determining what services should be given priority at publicly funded bus stations. So they're asking us for advice on it. We're supposed to be just an operator and not doing that. We, we happily did it. Uh, we happily told them about uh, how we were getting into Google Transit and those sorts of things. So there's an immense amount of information that we passed over and Karen will have seen much of, of what we did. So that brought us up to the, the, that sort of period where uh, they, they, they said, look, can, will you allow Transit to present to Derry City Council? Now we we were in this we we were in this for ten years and I can be frank now about our business plan. We didn't expect to even break even for the first two and a half years, and only to turn to to uh, to, to pay the debt off after four years. So we were in this for ten to fifteen years. We wanted a good relationship with Transit and the Department because the way this should work is you plug in into the network. They should be able to use transit services for first and last mile. And what I mean by that is a, a, a bus into Derry Foyle Station and then get our express time and maybe use the glider up if we're going to Anderson's Town, East Belfast, Titanic, etc. So we accepted to that and we agreed to it. You know, we, we want to show goodwill and give them the benefit of the tight. Um, but then that period where we were just ignored for eight months. You know, we had MLAs and MPs, our MP writing to the, the permanent secretary, and just ignored. Um, there it sort of became clear that they weren't really interested. There'd been a, a distinct change of tone. Um, we had this thing about the minister. You know, we tried to argue through uh, uh, being rational about it and reasonable about it. And as well, 
we should have been one of the best pieces of news for, for TransLink. They're going into their new service agreement. The legislation actually says they're to be awarded most, which means over half. They're effectively awarded, well, 90, they're 100%. And there is a reason why they don't do express services, and that's because they don't qualify for all the subsidies that TransLink services do as bus services. So in terms of revenue support, um, uh, that sort of support or capital support as well. So we try to be rational with them, try to argue with them, say, look, you don't want to go into a second judicial review. Um, but one of the points, the trigger point of view, and then you go into a ministry, you put in so much effort, and you just have to keep going. So we just had to wait until a decision was made. And that decision was communicated to us in um, uh, March, just before Easter. And honestly, I'd like to submit the paper that we received. It's, I mean, the, the quality of it is incredibly poor. The statement on fair uh, access to, to, to public transport is just absolutely contorted. And it's absolutely, I mean, it, I described it in the meeting cameras there, asymmetric, asymmetric to the level of information, the quality of, of, of uh, data, evidence of demand that we were putting in. Simple message we got back from uh, the department. But in a way, Martina, I think that was part of the message is that no matter how much effort you put in, we only have to put in a minimal amount of effort to block you. And that's the message we got. And are you considering um, opening up another legal avenue? Because it seems to be from what you have recounted there, that it is in breach of a high court ruling. So the department would seem to be in breach of a high court ruling. Is that something that we are exploring? Well, uh, I think they are in breach. I mean, and we have talked to our solicitors. As I said, we're, we're a transport company. We took the decision to diversify into Northern Ireland. That was a riskier strategy. Mm -hmm. 11 million pound investment, 75 jobs. Uh, yes, we could, we could mount a legal challenge, but the outcome of that is probably, uh, is to force them to make another redetermination. Again, we were prepared when we went into this for two judicial reviews, that's what we expected, but we expected them to be within two years. It's not reasonable for us to go forward. You know, I think, you know, for us, we're finished with the process. Uh, it's clear we've been blocked, we've been unfairly blocked. Uh, and I think it was a message to the wider industry to say, look, if Hammonds can't get it with all the resources that they put in, don't even bother asking. And the 30 minute rule that they've changed is just incredible. I mean, like, the, the audacity of doing that, um, I mean, in fact, if you think a bus could go down one route and block an express route on the same, as I say, it works everywhere else in Europe, uh, express services. It's in the program for government, rapid intra-urban connectivity. You know, transport economics of demand show it. And again, probably I should have said at the outset is in a former role I walk, work for Transit. One of the things I did work on was elasticity of demand and stimulating demand and barriers to travel. And Transit know this, but they don't do it because that's not what they're contracted to do. There's no express services within their service agreement. And as I say, it really came as a shock to us and to Karen as well, although they did it to, to Eamon is each and every single one of the routes we apply for, they put in, in effect, express services on those routes, even though they have no contract to do so. 
Okay, well, I think so, that connects on you today. I can understand the previous comment about you want it, whether it's an inquiry or some way that this can be probed into further, because there's obvious problems there. And Frank, can I ask you in relation to the changes, and you've talked about that a lot, to the permanent application process during that meeting in April? When it was confirmed that the um, by the DFA officials that the changes had been made and agreed by the minister, was in, like was there no notification to the sector whatsoever about these changes into the guidance? Like, is this how the department has done things with you in the past? Is this is is this how they've communicated with you, or was there something different that happened here for this to be landed on you? Uh, without any previous notification, if that was the case. They did mention that they had looked during the meeting that we had, when, and I think it was May 19, they did think that they did suggest changing the process. But as I said earlier, we objected and we opposed it for the very obvious reasons. We were never formally advised that this is going to be formally changed, that we are going to the minister to actually change the process. We didn't know that the process was actually changed until the meeting we had a number of weeks ago. So there was no formal communication. There was no formal, um, either verbal or written, to say we've changed it, we've included the new steps, we've, we're going to the minister to get her to agree the new determination process, and that we'll, we'll, we'll get you guidance to reflect all that. Never anything formal at all. Look, I have worked for 20 years with previous, obviously, DRD and now DFI. I have been involved in every single decision or application that we had for either stage carriage or express in the early days and across the years. From Nile, I have been involved at every stage. And previously, we've always had a battle, but we always got there, whether it was through lack of experience with officials or ignorance or just fear, we always got there. But recently, it's a totally different ballgame. We don't get there. And we need certainty for our people in terms of their businesses. But officials don't seem to believe that they're accountable anymore. They don't, even in terms of the minutes that we get, the responses that we get, you know, they can prevaricate, they don't always answer, they're not always, um, you know, direct with us. So I just don't understand whether it's different officials. There's a level of intransigence that I have never seen. In terms of the application, whether one, I was involved with it too, part of the way, and um, in the last couple of years, I have never witnessed anything like it before. The level of information and the proof of demand that a woman then put in was way above anything that I have ever seen, even the department producing, and they still were able to deal with things the way that they did. Now, for me, it is translink a bad name, it's getting our industry. Mm -hmm. What? And as, uh, apart from, as I said last week, um, I don't understand why we don't have communication with the department. There isn't a formal channel. We don't have anything to do. We can request for the meeting. The permanent secretary, deputy permanent secretary, there is no level there. We deal with the official you know, standard that's dealing with our thing. That's it. They don't talk to us about carbon neutral. They don't talk to us about anything. We don't, we're not seen as an industry. And as I, as I said last week, we're 80% of the size of Transwing. We're over 1,100 vehicles in the fleet. And as I said to my people, well, obviously, they're not having to worry about decarbonisation with us. We can just tiddle up the road if we like, because nobody takes anything to do with us. We're not part of the transport statistics, even though we're licensed and regulated by the department. And even though just for vehicle licensing, 
and driver licenses were half a million pounds we pay the Department of the Youth for our privilege. But they don't talk to us as an industry, they don't see us as an industry. That's part of the problem and they do not see the role that we can play and that we need to be playing in terms of the development of the network. Between ourselves and Transland, we can go forward. The department is the department that owns Transland, owns the network and actually owns us as well. The department needs the wherewithal, they need the experience, they need the knowledge to try and look at this sensibly, look at what their programme for government said, look what their priorities and responsibilities are and think, you know what, we have an asset here, we can work together and we can do this with no fear of anything happening to Transline. Because Translink have to be there to provide that network of services that the private sector either can't or won't. So, can I ask just one one other question, uh, Chair, just in relation to the um, the journey planner, and and I'm just again I'm thinking of um, of the airporter in Derry and others. By the way, all of you, um, and because you know that service that you know you had said that there were services that were previously included in the journey planner. That were removed uh, without any reason, and and just trying to probe, like, why do you think there's reluctance to include the services not offered by Translink on the journey planner? And again, I, I say because it's something that we value in Derry Airporter. You know, surely it's not helpful for businesses or for the public awareness um, of the extent of the services available if those services are not reflected on journey planners. Martina, I could perhaps uh, give you some experience of what I've been through. Um, certainly, I've been trying for several years to get the uh, airporter onto the journey planner. At the contact level and at the managerial level, I'm having great warm and welcoming consultation. There's a willingness to say, look, we really should get us on board. But as soon as you get into the... Um, the intricacies of whatever the system is, there seems to be a blockage along the way and it never seems to come about. And I think either it's, well, the system is too complicated or whatever, but there has been, I go, I go back twice a year just to check, has there been any developments? But if we think about, Martina, how we search and look for transport now, everything is done online. So there should be a more easier and freer way to make this occur and a more opportunity for the public to get access to it. There's a very easy give that could be uh, handled in terms of if we can't integrate with the actual journey planner, in the meantime, to have a link that says there are services going to, and then we have a license to do this. We're working within the network. We contribute, we layer on top of what Translink provide, and we contribute to public transport network. And it's only right that if they have the journey planner, which is a central point for Northern Ireland transport, that you should be offering the opportunity, even if it's just signage, even if it's just like click here, and if you book online, you know, we, we can look after that. It's exposure for services that are not being seen is the issue. You know, never mind the other issues of the licensing and things like this. Once you're operational, trying to maintain and gain traction and grow, again, is equally challenging. Now, again, at personal at personnel levels and with uh, director levels, the communication is great within the airport and transit. It's trying to get into and within the infrastructures is, is the challenging part. Could I, could I go, ahead. go ahead, Karen. Sorry, on the application process prior to these new guidance, it actually said once your permit was approved, you would automatically be part of that journey planner. Mm -hmm. That hasn't happened. I know Eamon 
was on it for a couple of months and then mysteriously was taken off it. But I do know that there is one from outside uh, in terms of the Scottish CityLink one. So I don't understand what the barriers are and I don't understand why in the new guidance there any reference to the journey planner has completely been taken out. I mean, the, the officials need to tell us why. Yeah, we don't understand it either, I'm sure, and it's something that the committee members will pick up. Look, there's lots of other questions, but there's other members, and I just find what you have imparted collectively to, to us today, I find it shocking that businesses are having to operate in that way, particularly given the operational excellence that I know all of you um, provide uh, across across the north, and I have to say, Niall, particularly at Airporter uh, in, in Derry, it's really a valued service. Uh, for the city and beyond. So thanks for that and thank you, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Ms. Kimmins. Thanks, Chair, and, and thank you all. And as I said last week at, at our meeting, it's quite say I appreciate the, the opportunity to engage with you all. It's quite unfortunate that we have to have the amount of meetings that we have themselves, Karen, um, because obviously there are a range of issues in, in, in various um aspects of this. But Look, I suppose just going over some of, the, of what has been said, and, and I mean, I certainly share the, the sentiment that Martina has shared there. I think you've done sterling work, particularly yourself, Karen, on behalf of the sector, um, and it's been it's been definitely very beneficial to us to sort of drill down into what the issues are, and I don't think it's a big ask what we're, what we're talking about. Um, and I mean, I think, you know, what Martina finished there in saying about how operators are having to work, the conditions you're now having to work in, you know, certainly as a as a past student in Belfast, I know that just how valuable the service um, that that Eamon's, um company provides from Newry to Belfast, and I think it's it's quite shocking that that, that, that they're being treated in the way they are, um, and I would certainly say that you know the service that that the private operators can provide should be complementing what TransLink and others are providing. So I mean, I think there, there's a range of issues just coming out of that. Just in relation, I suppose, to the permit renewals and how um, they're now being treated as new applications. I mean, just to get a bit more detail on how that will affect business, um, like, could that length, because it, it is going to be a lengthier process, will then that mean that you could be out of permit between renewals? Um, and how would that affect you? Well, what, I will maybe come in and let the others speak, but when we had the meeting with the department and we went through the new guidance, Eamon said himself, if I was to apply for my services again now, I wouldn't get them. Now, the difficulty is there, Owen's application and other applications in the process are now being dealt with under this new guidance, and that's where there are additional barriers, not just the length of time, but where the 30-minute rule is going to seriously affect the applications. So it's just more barriers. Um, maybe the other people, maybe the other guys want to come in there. Maybe Eamon, do you want to mention, go first? Well, as I said, the 30-minute rule, uh, that was the only reason I was able to operate my service between Belfast and Uri. Mm -hmm. Whenever TransLink, TransLink now have set up numerous services running at identical times to myself, when it comes to the renewal of my permits, the department can turn around and say, and I would expect them to, that's, that's my gut feeling. It's been set up that whenever my renewal comes up, they're going to say, hang on a second, TransLink are operating them services. I don't need you, and thanks very much. Cheerio. End of story. 
Yeah, no, and I mean, and that's certainly very concerning, it's particularly when you look at him and the, the length of time that you've been delivering this service. And, and I mean, as I said, you know, whilst Trent can obviously do some of it, they can't do it to the same level that you, that you have been able to provide in terms of drop-off and pick-up points and all of that as well. Um, so, I mean, that is certainly very concerning. And it's something I think that we, we, we do need to have addressed um, moving forward so that you're not finding yourself in that position. Um, in terms of the determination of the applications then, and I know it has also changed considerably with the, the introduction of a panel, um, <coughs> as well as a provision to uh, choose to refer the application to the minister to make a decision. I mean, how does that mark up with the previous pro process? You know, do, do we know how that panel will be made up? Um, and I know in, 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 in Owen's dealings with Hans, with the department, they did eventually say that um, they referred the decision to the minister. Was there any reason given as to why they, they referred it to the minister? Well, yeah, I mean, in order for it to be referred to a minister, and again, they went back to the Northern Ireland Executive Functions Act, you know, it had to be a major decision beyond the, the competence of the, the or beyond the, the, the responsibility of the senior officers. I mean, I think this clearly wasn't a major decision. It was a day-to-day -day operational decision of you know of officers of the department it didn't cut across departments there's no policy implications nothing but that's been the pretext of it leading in to say this is why they might introduce this um so as far as we could tell the, the committee was um uh informed that this may have significant impact on transfer and ability to um to uh, to provide its services again, I would challenge that. Even the two point two million figure quoted was less than one percent of tax turnover. The eventual figure that was quoted to us was, I think, eight hundred ninety-five thousand, which is less than half a percent of Chancing's turnover. But I think um, the, the 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 real uh, buyer is for me not the panel because the panel can just be the same as an individual. It's this bit about the referring to master. I mean, it's absurd that a decision on a permit for a vacant service where there's no express services. Do so you think you're going to get how valuable the aiming service was? Are trying to get that to uh, Corian, Newcastle, Enniskillen, Dungannon, Oma? Again, all these places don't even have a, a direct rail service. We were going to offer a non-stop service or a very limited service with a toilet on board, free booking, attacking all the buyers. Effectively, the same service that we operate between Belfast and Scotland, which has increased demand there by 19% in that route. I mean, we know that from the federal So to me, it's it's the, 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 the referral to a minister, the reason that we were given was because it was a major decision, yet what came back was we were denied our permits not because of any uh, uh, potential impact on transit, not because of any policy decisions, but simply we didn't provide any uh, information. So why was it ever passed over to the minister? How can you know if that's what they're saying? How can how could it have ever been passed to the minister? Maybe I could come in here, Liz, too, in terms of that determination um, process. Obviously it's controversial and I think the department is unnecessarily making the decision controversial because um, they are looking at it from a protective stance instead of a development of the network and that's I think where this is wrong. Um, the panel 
needs to be, if there is to be a panel, if there's anything controversial, the panel has to be people who understand and know what it is that we're doing. As I understand, it was one of the directors and it was, I think, the head of the, the driver and vehicle agency or the head of testing, I think it was. But again, what they would know in terms of making that decision, I did question and then 